You can do it again and just oh do the same thing. This is fine. No, no, no. And look straight at me while I'm doing it. <laughs> okay, this is Mistress Veronica, and you're listening to the Massacast, which is for people 18 years or older. Thank you. Hi, and thanks for downloading another Massacast. The next few episodes are fairly event heavy. Or not uh, event heavy. That sounds negative. It's uh, talking to a lot of people about various events across the, the country. Uh, actually, across the globe. Uh, eventful. That's the word I'm looking for. Eventful. Um, this episode is no exception. This episode, it's the gang from International Ms. Leather and Boot Black, Pat and Sharon. Uh, we've actually talked about International Mr. Leather on the show. This is Ms. Leather. Superior, clearly it must be superior because they're they've been guests on the show now, and anyone who has been a guest on the show is always a one more win than not. I don't know. Anyway, uh, they were great, and um, it sounds like a great event. If you're going to be in the area, take a listen. If you're not, you can plan for next year, which is a huge, huge event next year. Um, so here's Pat and Sharon. So I'm rolling now. Uh, but so before we we get into your personal histories, we have to say right off the bat that uh, you you are you did make a huge uh, like PBS size grant to the podcast. That's why you're here. You're here plugging. You're underwriting the podcast. <laughs> yes, totally not true. I don't want people. Girls will be there soon, right? <laughs> I've actually had people ask me like, "Hey, how much do I have to donate to get to promote the event?" I'm like, "Nothing, nothing." Mm-hmm. What kind of a shill do you think I am? Um, no, but so we're talking about the uh, international Ms. Leather. And the international uh, Miss Boot Black, both. And Boot Black. Mm-hmm. Um, two different contests over the same weekend. So we call it the International Miss Leather Weekend, but we in fact produce two contests that weekend. Is, it, is, is the reason why you meshed them all together because uh, you didn't want to be competing with each other, so you merged it, or is it, hey, two for one is even better, or what was the reason behind that? Well, the Amsel part got there first. Um, that started uh, earlier in the late 80s, um, and then the Boot Blacks came on later, um, added into the title, and they've been, they don't run together, so they're not like a team title, but they work with each other all year, so... It's not a competition with. They're very, very different contests and, and mm-hmm. concepts, uh, but they work together closely um, through their title year. But if someone is going, they'll be able to enjoy both aspects of it. Exactly. Absolutely. And if they have boots or leather, the boot blacks are amazing at their leather care, and that's part of their contest. So bring in those old boots that are all beat up, and they'll take good loving care of them. Bring in your old boots. <laughs> not many events that uh, stay, you know, have that as the tagline. There you go. <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about the the history of the event. I suppose we can start with the history of the event, then we can talk about the history of, of you as well. But um, if you go to the website, which you can find a link on the Massacast website, if in case you can't remember, um, imsl.org, which is short enough, you should be able to remember that. But if in case you're driving or something like that, you can go to the website and find it. If you look, there's a lot of it, it's it's it has a the timeline. It hasn't been consistent, you know, as far as, you know, it, it started, it looks like it took a couple of years off and then it continued again, or at least, or unless I'm misreading that. Well, it actually has gone continuously, but what's changed has been the producers. 
So oh, okay. about generations that it started back in 1986. Um, and it was a board. It was a nonprofit. They were in San Francisco. And that was until about 1981 um, was actually there was a leather contest back in those days. But that was the first women's contest. But 86 was when International Miss, uh, Mr. Leather started. And then they started after that, starting with um, International Miss Leather. And that came along in, in 89. That really is uh, amazing, though, when you think about something that far back. Because we th really think of people only being out or being able to be that out about this stuff. Right. To well, the extent that we are. The easiest um, way to do the math is to say that we're celebrating our 29th year as the International Miss Leather Contest and our... Eighteenth year, our eighteenth year as the international Miss Boot Black contest. So, what was the genesis of the of the contest itself? What was the thought behind doing it? What was the the origin story? I guess you'd say. Well, it probably started out within a bar, going here, hold my beer. What do you think about this? I think it's most of it <laughs> I just start um, with that. But it really, I mean, it kind of came from the. The fact that there was a lot of men's leather bars, there was, uh, again, there was a Mr. Gold Coast contest back in Chicago, and then there was, uh, or, uh, in San Francisco, and then International Mr. Leather started again in 86, and, you know, they had been having contestants, like, in contests, you know, back to 79, and things happening, and there was a group called the Lesbian Sex Mafia in New York City that was yeah. celebrating its, like, fifth anniversary, and then out in California, there was Folsom Street Fair, and they'd been around for a couple of years. So the leather community was kind of coming out of the bars and into the streets. And uh, so they decided they'd put the first women's group together way back in 78, and they held their contest in 81. And then it was kind of mostly a, a San Francisco, New York kind of thing. Those were the major areas. And then people started talking about doing some more and about getting more involved. Um, and kind of word of mouth started, and they just decided they'd put on this contest and invite kind of all comers to, to show up. And um, it was more social. I mean, people just wanted to kind of get together and hook up, and they said, well, let's put a contest on it and, you know, have some entertainment. <laughs> and the groups all came together, the clubs that were out, the women's clubs, a lot of men uh, helped us, you know, get started. So we thank them for all that work. Um, I, was, I was laughing because you said – Let's hook up and make a contest out of it. <laughs> now, I don't know if you intended to put those two next to each other, but that did sound like it was pretty, I mean, that's yeah. a pretty ingenious way to start a contest. The hookup was probably the higher priority. The contest piece came after that. It's just something to do over the weekend when you're tired. Right. You rest and, sure. you know, have a barbecue and do that kind of stuff. So um, they started, you know, really promoting this and talking, supporting the men, obviously, uh, mm -hmm. leather community who were going on to compete and started talking about doing it themselves. So in 87, they put it together as a, it was a one night event, um, in a bar that was called deviate, uh, DV eight. Uh, and it had a Keith Haring mural on one wall and there were 16 contestants and they crammed onto a tiny little stage. And a lot of these women had never met each other before and they were competing. They were gay, bi, heterosexual, undefined before we had all the terms of the alphabet soup right now. And um, they came from all over the place, Arizona, Seattle, L.A., New York, Canada, and Canada. Um, some people had had titles locally. 
Some just showed up and said, I want to run. So it must, must have been really difficult to arrange and, and to organize compared. I mean, I'm sure it's not easy today, but back then, was it harder to well, organize? No, because Well, yeah, it, I can I can speak to this. Um, it was much harder because um, when I was part of a steering committee um, of uh, the first um, women's leather weekend, um, which we called power surge. And that's, uh, that was in Seattle. And I, I remember making a flyer and we made sure to make it in white and we sent it all over the country and how we advertised our events is people would, um, mimic, would photocopy it at the, on their work computer in their free time and then go out into the bars and tell people about it. And that's what we thought at that point, maybe 300 women maybe would show up, maybe 200. And, uh, you know, we closed the doors at somewhere in the mid threes. Wow. Yeah. That, that reminds me, this episode brought to you by Power Surge, the sports drink for kinky people. <laughs> there you go. With Now with electrolytes. Right. <laughs> and other electric now, things. <laughs> right. Electro other things. Electrobites or something. So um, it's much different to produce a, uh, we say this is a women's leather event for women and everyone who loves them, right? It's a much different experience in an electronic age to produce a weekend like this. I bet. Yeah, and it was fun for that audience in the first year were mostly all men who packed, <laughs> you know, to see the contest and what was going on. And, you know, it was just kind of, and it started out, you have to also put in cultural context, this was the late 80s, and, and people were, everybody was raising money for charities, a lot of AIDS work going on, and women were kind of stepping into some of those gaps that were being created in communities from those who died from HIV and AIDS. I imagine it has newer newer challenges. You have, I'm sure, considerably more people um, to manage and, and to organize, but since you can do it by email, I'm sure there are both pluses and minuses to how difficult well, things are, right? I mean, I think the the biggest change um, is that when we say that we are an international leather event, um, we have uh, contestants coming from all over the world. Um, this year, we will be represent uh, the first Miss South Africa leather will be wow. competing. Um, along with uh, our current uh, international Miss Leather is uh, is Canadian, um, and so one of our judges is from Australia. She competed last year, so it kind of becomes a family, you know, kind of coming together and you know having the event. And it, it's not just a one night contest anymore as a fundraiser. Right. It's a opportunity to really kind of grow the community, and for a lot of people it might be the first major event that they get to. I think we had almost 80 new people last year come to the event who had never, you know, been out to anything or seen this many women or this much stuff going on. So, and they made it through the weekend. So that's, <laughs> that's great. Well, also there's this, maybe it's, I have no idea why I have no idea why, like but it seems like the largest what? convention in Chicago after the teamsters and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. That's amazing. But, it seems like in this past year, it seems like 
uh, or well, not the past year, but I, I don't know, the last five years. And it could be entirely, you know, just my circle of people. But I, I seem to be hearing more about international Ms. Leather than Mr. Leather. Now, it could be just my, like I said, my own circle. Um, but it's it, it's at least in, in my area of people here in New York City, it seems like it's been getting a lot of good exposure, especially in the past few years. Um <sighs> Is there, have you noticed? Have you noticed anything in particular that's that's been like? You're making you know, me, you're making me smile because um, I handle uh, all of the marketing for Imsel, and um, we have an amazing, amazing marketing team, um, and we have what I call our social media marketing maven who actually has happens to be based in New York city. Um, and I think you're talking about Vivian, right? We are talking about right. Vivian. Sure. Uh, Friend and of the show. She does an amazing job leading a team, um, and helping us really get the word out into areas that, you know, I never would have thought about. Um, and I think that it takes a year-round commitment to talking about what we're doing, what our title holders are doing, um, and being committed to keep that work going all year long. Yeah, the uh, I know, like Vivian. Like I, originally, I said, "What? Those two never." I mean, she strong-armed me to have you on the show. She was like, <laughs> "If you don't, so help me." That She's sounds, that good. That sounds like Vivian. <laughs> because I think, you know, if you look at any particular city, town, big or little, you know, you might have maybe six, seven, eight bars for the guys. And usually one of them is a leather bar. But it's really tough to find women's bars. And so a lot of times the clubs and the organizations in the town, the guys have, you know, brought women into the group and created the Miss title and, you know, support them and move them forward. But it, it's a totally different environment to come together. And I think the fact of that, it encourages them to go out and travel more. Like our current Imsel this year actually went to South Africa for that first contest. And, you know, you start having those conversations on that international level and, you know, what other people are experiencing is their kink or their fetish or whatever we call that. And it's really an opportunity to open up discussion. And I think so some ways women are better at kind of having that let's kind of come into a community and have a discussion than the guys are. They don't talk quite as much. They, but they play Let's hard. be honest, they also tend to smell nicer, too. <laughs> Maybe. It depends on what you like. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> I am biased. What can I say? Um, so let's let's talk about your personal histories a little bit, if you don't mind. Uh, Sharon, you mind if we start with you? How you got started in the scene? How you got connected with International Ms. Leather? Or maybe boot blacking or whatever? Uh how did like what was your first exposure to kink? I guess is that or leather. I moved to Seattle in from New York in nineteen. Oh my god, I have to do the math. Um, uh, in nineteen late eighty eight, early eighty nine, and the first group of women I met. Um, in Seattle were a group of uh, leather dykes and I joined I quickly joined uh, an organization called Outer Limits and 
I, um, the rest is history. Um, and so the, it's interesting that you moved to Seattle f- from New York and that's when you got connected in. I see, know, you, uh, it's a little strange, but I, you know, I had been going to college in the mid Hudson Valley. Um, and so moving to Seattle from sort of what was then the country, <laughs> um, <laughs> felt like a really big move. Um, and when I landed there, it was an exciting time. Um, this group of women were, in, were and are incredibly dynamic and very welcoming and um, really taught me what it is to walk as a leather woman um, in this world. Many what, do you mean by, what do you mean by that, the walk as a leather? What do you mean? Um, I mean, the, I think I know, but I'd like to hear. Views of this community, honesty, integrity, um, social service. Um, being willing to put yourself out there for someone else. Um, and out of that group, the as I said, we started an organization called Power Surge. Because um, literally around a picnic table, we said, wouldn't it be fun to do a, a, a sort of inferno? That was the men's event that we really all wanted to go to but couldn't. Wouldn't it be fun to do an inferno-like event for women? And we did, um, and we had no idea that it would be as successful. And at the end of it, about six months later, we were like, oh, my God, we can't do it again so quickly. So it became an every other year event. And on the off year, we did an event called Unplugged, Power Surge Unplugged, where we just had a play party and had fun. Do you get the, I, I kind of get the idea, because I, I know I feel this way a little bit, but you, I, I'm sure I don't feel this, I don't have the, the bragging rights uh, as you do in that, um, like me, whenever someone's like coming out in the scene right now, I'm like, I had to do it when we only had email, we didn't have fat life, you know, I feel very, you know, I, I, I really kind of, you know, feel a little pompous about that in my day we only had email and caller me you know both ways right (laughs) right right. and you however i mean you had to have a certain it's almost like you know if you're gonna be out in the scene like out going to events and stuff you have to have a certain level of uh desire for the kink i guess you could say right uh it's not usually it's you're gonna you're gonna be surrounded with more people who are i don't know hardcore is the right word but you're not going to get, be surrounded by too many people who are like, it's just a passing fancy. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like I think that the, the best part of having underground clubs was that you sort of knew if you were a member, you knew what the secret handshake was. Right. And, and you were confident that everyone else around you had the same level of commitment or whatever, right? You know, I remember when I joined my first organization um and literally you had to be sponsored by someone you had to go to events i think for it felt like six months and then the members voted you in there was no you know there was no munch or or meetup or there was there was none of that you had to know you really genuinely had to know people I often, and this is for protection, right? I mean, this is for protection and... Absolutely. But also, if you saw someone in public, 
there were rules about how you behaved, right? You didn't just go, oh, it was great to see you Sunday night or, you know, Saturday afternoon. And you didn't say those things. You might have maybe head nodded, acknowledged them and let them talk to you because you didn't want to out anyone. Um, it was, um, in a lot of ways, it felt like being part of a secret club. I don't know how else to put it. Um, it was a really liberating both sexually and emotionally liberating time in my life. Um, and I felt I was young and I was being mentored and I felt very much alive. That's um, great. And that community and the, the women in that community and what I learned there have shaped who I am as a player and a person. Um, and remember, I was just barely legal to be in those clubs. And in some cases, I'm not sure I was. <laughs> well, it, it, it sounds like they, they welcomed you with open arms, right? Um, and mouths probably too. I don't know. I mean, they were very, very welcoming, it sounds like. They were very welcoming. Um, but I also, um, I then, you know, I... I attended a lot of IMSLs. I attended a lot of, um, I was very involved with an organization called the National Leather Association for years and years. And I attended that conference faithfully. Um, and at some point, um, I moved to the Bay Area. Um, and again, I got involved. I was on the producing team of IMSL. Um, for a number of years and then became, um, last year I became the producer of Enzo. So you're, you're, you're no slouch. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I guess I'm a good multitasker because <laughs> I feel like I give a lot of my time away. <laughs> well, uh, and well, uh, there, there, that brings up something too that I want to talk to you, to both of you about, and that is, um, it, it, you do have to uh, have a certain level of free time in order to do this, right? Uh, you, uh, or, or at least dedicate all of your excess free time, right? You, it's very, um, it's very difficult for someone who's I don't know do, doing their pre med or something like you know what I mean. It's it, you have to have some free time, or or dedicate all of your excess time. Um, to do this, it, that must be very difficult to find, to, to help find people who are going to you know, be able to dedicate that much time that's necessary, right? Well, we try and make the load lighter with lots of hands and help. And it's one of those, you know, kind of, you know, we get the, we have the ability and the privilege to be able to go out and, you know, work on this stuff and do this and make that there. And I know for me, you know, it, it is so much about community and building and all of that. And so, um, I think you find type A personalities um, who just say, you know, cram more things into my schedule and I'm going to love it and I'm going to go after it. And I find it every year, you know, you come in and number one, it's great to see, you know, old friends and meet new people. But you see people who have just walked in and realize they've come to kinky Disneyland, you know, so um, that they've got the opportunity to, to find this community in their home. 
no matter who they are. I mean, it may not be my kink. It may not be, you know, anybody else's kink, but they realize that they've got a space that puts words to all that stuff they've been thinking and feeling for years. Well, let's talk about you, Pat. Let's uh, like your, your, what's your origin story? <laughs> um, well, I know I've been a pervert probably most of my life. And when I was, uh, <laughs> okay, I came into the scene about 1979, 1978. Um, and I was in the military at the time and I ran, uh, my, my lover at the time worked with a guy and he said one night, come on out with us. He knew we were lesbians. And he took us to this really nice <laughs> dinner bar. And he said, after that, let's go have a drink. And we walked down to this great leather bar right down the street in Phoenix, Arizona. And he was part of a club called Phoenix Levi and Leathermen. And um, they, at that point, I mean, this was still, at the, be at the beginning, was at the height of the wild and crazy and fucking and sucking and all kinds of good things going on and it was a it was the party and it wasn't too many years later that that same community of men who worked hard for each other they were brothers and they were you know doing community fundraisers to help people pay their electric bills and you know gas bills and all this kind of stuff or somebody needed surgery because they fell off their motorcycle and things like that and they became a, a very strong service organization and I'm kind of a, a goddamn independent, a GDI, uh, in my own walk, and so I don't join too many organizations. But um, my partner at the time and I decided to pledge with that club. And just like Sharon said, you know, you were a pledge for a year, and the club watched you. You did all the grunt work. You know, they weren't sure about, you know, a lot of the members weren't sure about having women in there, but, you know, they liked having the extra set of hands. And as long as we left the bar by about 11 o'clock so the back room could open up, they were all kind of happy with that. But we just took a lot of things we learned there and took it home and continued with that. But I was in the military at the time, so I didn't get a chance to do a lot more of the visible stuff that Sharon talked about. Um, sure. But I was always on the peripheral of that community and, and hung out. And you know, I'd be that person in the back who'd watch the contest and then disappear. And so when I retired from the military um, back in, in uh, 1993, I said, I'm never going back again, and I'm going to be out and who I am. And so um, in 1995, I ran for a local San Jose, California title. Um, started out as Miss Leather Masters, and then the community got the Miss San Jose Leather Contest um, title back. So I competed at IMSO in 95 as Miss San Jose Leather, and nobody knew who the heck I was. And the funny part was is I – didn't even win any of the categories that I competed in. I was second or third in most and all of them. But at the end, I ended up on top of the stand as Imsel. And uh, so I spent a year, um, although I had a lot of background in the leather community and knew a lot about it, I learned so much that year just going and visiting communities and talking to people and hanging out. And I'm a community organizer at heart. So when I started to get to the end of my year, I went, hmm, I'm not done yet. I want to do some more stuff. So I created an organization called Leather Women United, and we did community drive stuff. We, um, I did a voter registration drive. We did a food drive. And some of the food banks that started as a result of that are still in, in action today and doing that kind of work. All about you know grassroots stuff. And I'd use my IMSL title to say, send me all your info, and we'll talk about what impact the leather community has had you know, on everybody. And um, so it's just kind of continue with that. And I've, I've, I went to a couple of the IMSLs before I won my title, but I've been there ever since. And again, 
part of my legacy is that the contest had been held with Audrey Joseph and the board and those folks uh, in San Francisco until 94. And then they kind of decided it was time they were going to stop the contest. And Amy Marie Meeks um, came up and decided that she was going to take over the contest at that point and moved it to Chicago. So I was actually the first IMSL to win outside of California in terms of a contest being held out there. And Amy moved the contest around for quite a few years and then ended up in Omaha. And again, it was time for a change. And Glenda Ryder picked up the third generation. Um, and so I, at the point that was happening, I had thought I'd wanted to buy IMSL. And it just didn't work out. That wasn't the right time. So when it was offered to Sharon, you know, I said, the stuff I love to do is the education, the history, and supporting the title holders. Because every woman who has gone through either as an Emsel or an Ems Bubba, and that's what we call the boot blacks, Bubba's, um, is, you know, has, has had an amazing experience in their lives. Some bad, some good, but it changes you. And so um, I created when we did this i i didn't i don't like to throw the parties and do all that kind of stuff as much i like doing the more theoretical stuff so i created the imsel foundation and we have an interim board and we're planning on becoming a 501c3 that paperwork has been submitted and we're going to go back to those roots of how do you help these communities but we've done a lot already in our first year of just you know digitizing our history we've got old programs and this stuff that are starting to fall apart because they're so old and how to get that digital history that people can look at and research later on. And we just, uh, with our title holders, just ask them to um, do some fundraisers in their local community and raise money to say thank you to their communities. And the foundation is matching up to $500 both in Toronto and in Portland. Uh, Patty and Dara, the current title holders, um, their fundraising efforts and so it's to me it's it's a win-win and i love it and you know there's times that you go i'm really tired and I, i'm not ready to do this but somebody comes up with an idea and we go we can do that and <laughs> to make sure that there's it's open to women whoever they are to be able to come in and for men and transgender and people of color you know to make sure that they get that same opportunity to walk that path yeah it sounds it sounds like you could write a book just on making between the two of you, you could make just making events in general or and or doing community organizing or as they say in the south communist activities <laughs> but but no you you could you could actually you've got so much experience that you there's a lot you could there's a lot you could do with that i mean just to educate people right I imagine you know that alone forget all the other stuff just the just the simple act of how to do this type of thing would be very beneficial for people inside the scene or out right Pat and I both have had a longstanding commitment to be educators in the scene, um, to travel um, and teach um, our entire leather family, um, our polycule. Um, we just try and be, um, try and share what we've learned um, and teach people um, what, you know, whatever we can. And we have been able to support like that new contest in South Africa. We were able to be one of the sponsors for that as well to help them make that happen. And, and we did spend a lot of time with the producers, you know, talking to them. It's a little different now because we're actually in a visible, you know, as the producers of Imsel and Ims Bubba, 
you know, able to kind of share with them a little bit more our perspectives. Because a lot of times those contests are looking at, you know, where do I send my contestant? Should they go forward? All those kind of things. But it's all about, you know, they go back and, you know, once you finish your year, you know, you get to go back and do what you want to do and really make a difference. And there's a great legacy in all the title holders you know, who have gone back and done things, even not related to leather, just have done some really amazing work. One of the, um, if you're familiar with the organization PFLAG, one of the first IMSLs, uh, when she stepped down within about six months, start helped to start that organization, Parents and Friends. Wow, that's great. Yeah. So let's talk about the event itself, uh, or the events, I should say. Um, so what are the categories that someone... Well, I guess first question is, where do you get all the contestants? Is it just uh, there are the local chapters that have been sent and the regional chapters that come there? Or is it a uh, – how, de- how do you decide who are the, big, uh, the contestants each year? Well, the contestants put in an application, and you don't have to have a title to compete. Um, it's, it's great to have that experience a little bit you know, beforehand of doing this because it helps to kind of shape who you are and what you're good at and what you want to do. But uh, unlike the kind of a lot of the men's contests where you have to go through, you got to win in the bar, you got to win in the city, you got to win in the region, you know, and then move on up, but you know, to IML and things like that. Uh, we haven't put the requirement on the contestants to do that. So um, there's a lot of women events. Again, a lot of times it's a Mr. and Miss event that's run uh, together. And so the Mr. goes off to IML and the Miss goes off to, you know, either IMSL or ABW or some of the other events uh, that are out there. And, uh, you know, run for the contest with that. Um, and a lot of it is about talking with folks. Because I, I know during my year, I challenged a lot of the guys uh, in their local communities to say, hey, if you want the women to come, have a leader out there who's speaking up and can do that. And they went, oh, okay, well, we'll try that. And the bootblacks, that's another whole set. They have their whole little underground that's out there. Um, it started out with people who, you know, were like me. I, I did my boots and, and the military, and I knew how to do a spit shine. And then these folks started talking, and they started having little intensives. And, you know, they'd all get together on a Sunday afternoon and take care of leathers and an event and all this. And they're a highly organized network. And the tech and skill ability that they have is amazing. So uh, they almost have like a, you know, you've got a mentor under somebody, learn all these skills, and you really have to know. You have to do everything from white patent leather shoes, you know, up to, you know, full high knee-high boots with webbing on them to how to handle that and be able to be, uh, to deal with them all. So let's talk about each one. Let's say when someone shows up, you've got your contestants. What are the categories they're competing against in? What are the different uh, areas? Well, it starts out the the kind of the general one is is kind of leather image, uh, and it's just how you carry yourself. You know, are, are you friendly with people? Can you talk to people? Are you able to organize and you know be you know just how you are and how you look? Just kind of that image kind of thing. Um, and then the the one of the larger categories is the the interview. And we've just added in for our IMSL contestants last year uh, a teaching moment. We asked them to go out and be educators and talk and do this kind of stuff. And we said, yeah, but we don't test them on that. We don't see how they're doing. So they come into the interview and they do a five to seven minute presentation on anything they want. If you want to make a sock puppet or whatever, you can do that. Um, But it just gives the judges a chance to see how they organize themselves, how they think, how they deal with talking up in front of folks. 
And then they'll go into interview questions that can be about, you know, history or what their beliefs are, or, you know, what their hottest sex is. You know, it's you, we select a panel of judges that are very diverse that can bring in their perspectives of the community. And so um, there's just always those questions where you go, I would have never thought to ask a contestant that. And they do. Um, kind of the more visible sides that they do is um, we have a Friday night contest opening where the contestants will come out and give their speeches. So that's a 90 second speech that allows them to talk about, you know, what they, their platform or, you know, what they like, or, you know, to say hi to everybody, whatever that is, again, a chance to speak in front of a larger audience. And then on Saturday night, the MZO contestants will do the uh, pop question. So they come out in hotware. So there's obviously costume changes that happen all through this thing. Uh, so they'll come out and do hotware and do a pop question, which is usually a silly, funny question about what would you do if you were on a deserted desert island and all that kind of stuff and those kind of things. So there's lots of opportunities. And then the IMSAs also do a fantasy, and that's about a three-minute um, production. You know, it's our entertainment for the show, and they're judged in all of those categories. The boot blacks on the other side, again, have the image. They do the pop question in their hotware. Uh, they have the interview, but in their interview, it's much more technical. They get a pair of boots on Thursday night um, during our queer happy hour, and they the boots are like they're beat up and they're you know in bad shape. And the boot blacks have like you know half hour, forty five minutes or so to get them fixed up and shined as best they could, and then they um, explain to the judges what they did, what they saw and what they were looking at and how they had to do it. And then we also ask our participants, everybody gets a, a coin, a boot black coin, and you vote just looking at the boots. You don't know who did which one, of which one do you think was the best restored. So um, that's, a, that's a big, big part of their competition. And they also do the speech on that. I was in uh, Future Farmers of America, and this sounds almost similar, except less fun. <laughs> when you, right, then you have all the other good parts that go with that. Yeah, you could do it with or without clothes and things like that. So. <laughs> well, damn it. Damn, we didn't do that in FFA, which is good. I think that's a good thing, actually. When judging cattle, you want to keep your clothes on as much as possible. Yeah, yeah I would think so. <laughs> um, uh, so the boot black, is, is that is that mostly a – for those people who don't know, I, can you explain to someone or just explain to the audience this? what is the general appeal of boot blacking? What is the – uh, how you know what is that thing for those people who've never seen it happening or understand it? Well, I'll probably get in trouble because I'm trying to speak for the boot blacks. I mean, I'm totally I love all the boot blacks, but I, you know, I I don't. That is not my kink and my fetish. There are folks. If you go to the airport, you get your shoes shined. That's different from boot blacking. And boot blacks love taking care of the leather. Love taking care of the people in that. I mean, they're kind of like the bartenders. You know, you come in and you sit in one of their chairs. And if they're doing their job really, really well, you're relaxing, you might have a drink, you might have a cigar, you might talk to them, you might have a little fun scene with them on the side, but they're just about taking care of those leathers, and they love doing that. And um, it's much more fun. It, it, it is it is their part of the community and their part of the kink, and they'll come up and run to you if you've got a spot on your you know vest or you know something wrong with your boots. It's not surprising to see a boot back drop to their knees and shine up those boots before they go. So uh, they're paying attention and they do a lot of hard, hard work. It's not easy to sit there in black for four or five hours a day, you know, in crowded situations and smoke and all that kind of stuff. But they love it. They work hard for that. So uh, as, as someone who attends, are you torn between, oh, do I wear my 
very best leather or do I wear the leather that's going to get a lot of heavy work done? I think that uh, depends on your fetish. <laughs> I guess, I guess. Because right? like, damn I, it, I wore my best leather and now I can't I get it all the work done. So I always wear um, different colored boots, not necessarily black. Um, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll show up in a pair of burgundy clogs just to throw a boot black off. You never know. <laughs> But it really is fun because beyond just the, you know, the, the boots and the black leather and what you might think of as a traditional leather thing. I mean, we have puppies and we have ponies and, you know, we have people who are, you know, working, you know, we have a show on um, Thursday night called Seduction, which is kind of a strip burlesque, kind of hot, very hot night just to get the weekend started off. So you have a lot of performance artists out there and sex workers who come as well. And this year we're doing a big, um, what we're calling porn fest, because we started talking about what are some of the issues in the areas that we look at in the community that, that aren't addressed real well, or that we need to get more information around. And we said, well, let's have a conversation about feminism, BDSM, leather kink, and um, porn. And so we're going to have panels of producers and people who have been in that talking about what it's like to try to do those intersections. And then we're also going to have some very hot, steamy videos as well uh, <laughs> for that. But it's an opportunity, uh, again, to hear from another part of the community and learn about them. So uh, Melina Williams has been on the show before, and uh, we've been able to hear her talk about when she was uh, International Ms. Leather. And But for those people who uh, maybe haven't met someone, who haven't been lucky enough like myself to have uh, met someone who's won in the past, you know, it's, if you win, that's just at the beginning of the whole experience because now you've got the entire year to go, uh, I don't know if evangelize is the right word, but you're educating and spreading the word. What happens after you win? Well, you kind of walk on the ceiling. I don't know. I've hours. never run. <laughs> hey, you and me both. Sharon's not a, not a contestant type. <laughs> no, okay. okay maybe, maybe, let, me, let me rephrase it this way. When one wins, what happens when when a person wins, they, they go out and they, then they, they spread the word. They travel around the world. One of and, and the ways that they're judged uh, for the weekend is that they're judged on each contestant brings a, what we call a basket. It's um, a table or two full of stuff um, that represents them and their community. Um, and it's actually something they're judged on how they, how it's set up. Um, how well does it actually represent that person? Um, and so um, part of what that does is we then have a silent auction of all of the contestants' basket items, and that money goes into their what we call their travel fund. Um, and they are they then spend the next year traveling on that travel fund. So they become the ambassadors for the organization. Uh, and so, and everybody does it very differently. I mean, if you put all of the Imsels or all the Bubba's together into one room, you're going to find that we don't have much in common except for that sash or that mantle. Because um, I'm a very political person, so I was all about, you know, being out there in the streets and doing all that. Other people are in it, you know, for a good time. Other people are doing it, you know, to help, you know, what their passions are, whatever that may be. But 
the bottom line is, is being visible and being out there and providing that role model that communities need sometimes. Because when I would go to an event, you know, they'd never had women there. And all of a sudden, 15 or 20 women would show up and the community would be shocked and go, we didn't know this, there were this many kinky women. Maybe we've got to get going here. Uh, and just sitting and talking to people about their experiences and life and what leather means and connecting people up, a lot of networking. Well, also just whenever in, and maybe it's not this uh, as much in New York, but I know in other communities, uh, you can, you know, their, their local scene gets very isolated. And um, when you have someone from the outside come and give a presentation or just, you know, just meet with the rest of the community, it does, it does help, you know, it, uh, uh, it just opens their eyes to new experiences and how people do it elsewhere and gives them some good ideas, maybe, you know, to how they can improve their local scene too, right? Yeah. And I mean, when you talk about having, the ability to provide, you know, large play spaces and things like that. Again, dungeon and play space is something that women don't have a lot of to go to in their own communities. Um, a lot of it, you know, we make sure that we keep a women's only, a men's only, and a pansexual space so that people, you know, can find their own comfort in their play. But, yeah, people, the education part, we do a lot of programming. You can learn skills, then you get to practice them, and then you have things you can take back to your community. It's really, it sounds like such a, I'm, I'm kicking myself for not being able to make it because this sounds like something that uh, both my better half and I would, would love to see. Maybe someday, someday we're going to have to check it out. So um, Sounds good. And, and it's fun because we're actually going to do a thing this year, um, recognizing the fact that, you know, it, we, it's a women's leather event, but we still do get a lot of men who come to the event. And, you know, so we're going to do some Men of Imsel t-shirts this year to recognize them. And it's kind of funny because when you go to IML, I mean, if you are not the hunky contestant boy, you know, it's a little hard to get play and, and people are, there's so many men that they feel like it's really kind of a, a meat market sometimes to really get something going on during that week. But a lot of them come to IMSL and just have a great time because they're just there to have fun. And, uh, you know, they're just playing constantly. <laughs> well, thank you both so much, uh, Sharon and Pat. Is there anything that we, that I, I didn't ask you that you'd like to, to mention? I think you've got most of it. Uh, again, um, let's see. I can't. I, I can't think of anything else that we, we missed. It's a great time. The website's got all the information. Contact us if people have questions. Uh, we're coming Lots up. Of opportunities to volunteer. Yeah, if people want to volunteer, if they make that decision, they want to come and uh, either can't afford it or. You know, need some help with that. We need lots of volunteers and then make plans next year because it's our 30th anniversary. And so we're going to definitely have a blowout next year celebrating that. So if, someone, if someone's never gone, maybe they're going all by themselves uh, and, and they're alone. They've never gone to an event like this and they're worried they're going to be lonely or feel awkward. All they have to do is come up, say, say, I need to talk to Sharon and Pat and say, I heard it on the Massacast. Show me, just point me in the direction of someone you know, how I can help, and then bingo, their whole weekend is taken care of from there on. Yeah, it'll be amazing because we've got like a newcomer's orientation this year. And right after that, there's going to be a flag and flirt party. So um, folks that definitely get there for that. And we will say, you know, find the, find the Massacast in the uh, room. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both so very much. I'm so glad uh, Vivian put us in touch because uh, I've been wanting to talk to you for a very long time. And, and, and it's one of those things where if, if I just email someone out of the blue, it sounds kind of shady. Yeah, we want to come on my podcast. You know, it, it helps to have Vivian to vouch for me. So I'm so glad she, she did. That's why I call her the social media marketing maven. Yes. Because 
she does introductions into so many diverse communities that she's continuously blowing me away like hey have you thought about this no i didn't even know that existed yeah she's she's a, it can be almost a little creepy it can be she's almost that she's i think she works for the nsa myself yeah she's got microphones on all of yeah, us exactly thank you so much both of you i really appreciate it all right thanks actually appreciate it have thanks. fun thanks take care bye So if you want all the details, you can go to Mastercast.com with links, pictures of the very happy Pat and Sharon. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.